In the name of God, most merciful, ever merciful, and may God's peace and blessings be upon his holy prophet Muhammad and the purified members of his household and progeny. Allahumma salli ala Muhammad wa ali Muhammad wa ajjil farajahum. Respected sisters, dear brothers and viewers, Assalamu alaikum jami'an wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. And welcome once again to our life, the Islamic answer, in which we are going through the narrations of Ahlul Bayt and the verses of the Holy Quran to extract principles by which we can live an Islamic life in this complex world. We are still in the theme of knowledge and rationality in Islam, and within that theme, after we explained the general importance of reason and knowledge in our religion, we said that there are two conditions that have to be met for knowledge to be Islamic. The first one is that knowledge has to be accompanied when one intends to acquire it first, and secondly, when one intends to use it, knowledge has to be accompanied with sincerity of intention. And secondly, we said that knowledge must lead to action. Once those two conditions are met, then in our religion, that knowledge is going to be considered Islamic. When we look at the importance of action, knowledge must be accompanied by action. Knowledge must lead to action. <clears throat> Therefore, our first question is going to be, what is going to be our first action? What does action look like? And we said, therefore, the answer to this question is that we must first begin by acquiring knowledge. The acquisition of knowledge itself is the first action that we have to take. And once that action is taken and we acquire knowledge, we seek knowledge and acquire it, then we slowly start to become faced with a responsibility of carrying that knowledge, which is to share that knowledge. So the moment you hold a certain amount of knowledge, you are also responsible to start spreading and to start sharing that knowledge. And we said this has to lead to us having a vision, and inshallah that's where we're headed, to have a vision to build a community build on knowledge or knowledge communities. We are still in the intermediary phase now. So we're still discussing the role of what we called the scholar or the teacher. Because both terms can signify, when we go back in our narrations specifically, we see that the mention is the person who carries the knowledge. So in short, we say it's the scholar or the teacher. And again, we repeat this point at the beginning of every one of these lectures where we talk about the role of the scholar or the teacher, that this is not just about looking outside of ourselves. This is not just about going around and looking at people who are officially, formally recognized as scholars to see to what extent these traits and these characteristics match, to what extent they carry, they behave according to these characteristics. That's important, especially when you want to open your mind and your heart to this person. You want to take them, accept them as a teacher and a scholar. The more they meet, they match the characteristics that we find in the narrations, the more they are suitable and worthy of being considered a scholar. That's important. 
But we said even beyond that, we have to start with ourselves. We are now aware of all of this. It means that when I read characteristics of the person who carries knowledge, I have to see myself. To what extent do I match these characteristics? Am I moving towards matching or aligning with the characteristics that I'm finding about scholars and teachers in Islam? So we discussed, we started with the importance of understanding knowledge and seeking knowledge and then the importance of choosing the right teacher, choosing the right scholar. Inshallah, all of that is clear. And then we moved to the discussion around what are the traits, what are the characteristics of the teacher or the scholar. And we said these are going to fall into two big categories. The first one had to do with characteristics that we can consider a lot more spiritual or directly related to knowledge and spirituality. And we went through all of those characteristics, inshallah. The second set of characteristics, and this is what we just began a couple of weeks ago, have to do with what we called moral characteristics, moral traits in general. How do you carry yourself in general in this world now that you carry knowledge? How do you conduct yourself? How do you behave in this world? And so we saw, we already started to see that Ahlul Bayt have focused on a number of specific traits, not because the others are not important, but because these are going to be issues that we are faced with as human beings naturally the moment we start carrying knowledge. And so Ahlul Bayt focused on some characteristics, some traits, and we started to see some of them. And inshallah, today we're going to continue with these. So beyond the knowledge itself, for instance, and beyond, for instance, the importance of the fear of God, the importance that you give to the afterlife, the humility and the modesty, which we emphasized in the hadith, we saw that, for instance, there was an importance on humility, modesty, non-arrogance when you, when you behave or you interact with people in general. We saw that in general, the hadith were saying, the teachings were saying that once you carry knowledge, that knowledge is no longer compatible with certain types of behavior. For instance, foolishness. For instance, being in a constant state of neglect and play. There is a balanced dose of this that is acceptable. And we spent a, a good amount of time on the hadith from last week, I believe, we spent a, a very long time on this hadith. لا يكون or في قلب العالم. Okay, and so we explained that Imam Ali alayhi salam, what he's saying is that either we take this hadith to the absolute, which is one more criteria, one more argument to say the true alim can only be an infallible, and everyone else is someone who aspires to move towards that direction. That's one. And two, therefore, what happens to everyone else? It's impossible that we don't find some of this in our hearts, in our minds. So what do we do? And we said here, the teachings in Islam, don't say that this is not valid, but we have to find a balanced approach to this so that you do live a life where the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is present. You can take a moment to relax and a moment to spend time with family and a moment to chill and hang out, as they say. That is all fine with the condition that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is still present in those moments, that you are still not doing anything forbidden, and that it is a balanced 
amount of time and energy that you are putting in those things with regards to the rest. So that when you look at it in general, no one can say that this is a life of foolishness or laziness or lacks seriousness or lacks an understanding or is incompatible with the knowledge that you now have. Right? And we said this might be different from one person to another. So long as there is a good awareness of what all of this means. And inshallah, we don't need to repeat everything that we said the last time we met about this hadith. The importance of, therefore, staying away from neglect, heedlessness, foolishness. We talked about all of that. We started to talk about the importance of staying away from or knowing how to and when to talk and when not to talk. And we already saw indications of this. Today, inshallah, we're going to focus a little bit more on this specific uh, dimension. So talking too much, revealing too much, knowing when to say, what to say, and so on and so forth. This is one of the characteristics. As you see, when, when we present it that way, it doesn't seem to carry any spiritual dimension. That's why we call them moral traits in general, in life in general. Okay? We already started seeing, I don't know if we'll have time to get back to them to close the loop on those, but we already started to see a hadith that talk about arrogance and jealousy. And the importance specifically for the person who carries knowledge to be very careful around those, because we said there's a human tendency, the moment you start to feel the power that you have, the prestige that it comes, the social status, and so on and so forth. And this applies to other areas in life too. The moment you have money, the moment you have authority, the moment you have rule over people, the moment you are responsible for other people. All of these, if you go back to the ahadith, all of these roles, statuses, situations in life, you see that the ahadith say you have to be very careful from falling into these traits. So there's a balance Right, That once you start to have the responsibility, the higher that responsibility goes, the more you have to be careful not to let it to get to your head and to become arrogant as a result of that and to focus on what responsibility comes with that status and not what rights and what privileges come with it. Right, You're more responsible for the duties associated with that role. So inshallah, we'll see if we get to that or not. So we continue with where we stopped, inshallah. The next hadith from Imam Ali alayhi salam. So this is just to, as a reminder to start the, the hadith today, as a simple reminder that in general, the moment you start carrying knowledge, you have to be a lot more careful, a lot more aware of your general manners in life. Okay, so the first hadith from Imam Ali alayhi salam, he says, إِذَا زَادَ عِلْمُ الرَّجُلْ زَادَ أَدَبُهُ وَتَضَاعَفَتْ خَشْيَتُهُ مِنْ رَبِّهِ So Imam Ali alayhi salam says, if the knowledge of a man increases, then his manners increase and his fear of his Lord multiplies. And so the fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we spent a large amount of time on this topic. But before then, Imam Ali is saying his manners improve. The manners of this person become better. You don't become more arrogant you don't become you don't let the knowledge get to you so that you now become more hateful or you have more you know despise people or condescend towards people or disrespect people they're no longer worthy of your knowledge of your time of your effort it's actually the opposite okay so his manners increase and this has to become therefore a condition as we move up in the acquisition of knowledge this has to be you know, a clue or an indication for ourselves 
that the type of knowledge that we're getting and the intention behind the knowledge is still good. And one way to see this is, are our manners getting better or not? Okay, that's one. The next hadith. Again, a hadith that brings a hadith that brings a number of the traits, a number of these traits together. So the next traits are patience, wisdom, compassion, which we said in Arabic there's a term for that you can't find an equivalent for in English in one word. And that term is hilm. Hilm in Arabic doesn't have a specific term that you can translate it into. You have to read the context and see what's the best way to translate. Because one way to understand hilm, as we said, is to say, for instance, patience. But patience is not enough because it has to be patience out of mercy or kindness. In other times, that's why I usually translate it as compassionate patience. It's not just that you're just someone who is generally forbearing and patient. It's that you have patience out of mercy. But sometimes hilm is also used to mean wisdom. Someone who is demonstrating or showing good judgment and wisdom. So these, this is kind of, as they call it, the semantic sphere. These are the different notions that should come to mind when you see the word hilm in Arabic. So you can't find a simple single term in English to translate it into. Okay, so first hadith from Muhammad Rada alayhi salam. So this word of hilm is present, but you're going to see a second one here. And it is silence. That's why we said today there will be a little bit of a focus on when to talk and when not to talk and the importance of silence. And we've talked about this in the past, but we didn't spend you know, a dedicated amount of time to this. The more you carry knowledge, the more you have to be in control of what you say and when do you say it and to whom do you say it and in what way. And we're going to see that. So Imam Rada says, Inna min alamat, there's two versions of this hadith. In the first one it says, Inna min alamat al-fiqh. And the other one is, Inna min alamat al-faqih. So, Inna min alamat al-faqih, al-hilm was-samt. So, one of the traits of the either deep knowledge, al-fiqh, we can translate that as deep knowledge. One of the traits of deep knowledge, or one of the traits of the true scholar, is that they have these two moral traits. They have hilm, so this compassionate patience or wisdom, and that they stay silent. Silence is one of the traits of the true scholar or the person who carries true scholarship. And here we can start talking about this topic. The hilm in itself, we're going to see a lot of other ahadith, and we, as we said, we can break it down into smaller parts. We're going to come back to it. The first point that has to do with this hadith, and again, as we're trying to emphasize here, we're not trying to focus on the spiritual dimension. We talked about that. Beyond the spiritual dimension, there's also a psychological dimension here. If you carry knowledge, and if you want to affect people with that knowledge, you have to have certain traits. It has to show. So in yourself... To know that that knowledge is true and real, it has to affect your soul. And we've talked at length about this. Knowledge has to show in your actions, in your behaviors. And the only way that this really happens, unless you're just acting and faking it, 
The only way that this really happens is that knowledge has affected you, has entered your heart, has affected your soul. And so now when you act, it's going to show in the manner in which you act. And so the imam is talking about this, that this person's knowledge has affected them. And now when they behave, when they interact with other people, you see that in their patience, you see that in their compassion, and you see that in their silence. That they're not too quick to talk. And we're going to come back to the talking in a moment. That's one. So there is self-discipline. Two, you want to be able to affect people with that knowledge. If you are arrogant, you're not going to go anywhere. If you are repulsive, if you are disrespectful, if you are impatient, you're not going to go anywhere with the knowledge that you have. That's secondly. So there's a psychological component. There is a spiritual component for the self. But there's a psychological component to others. Regardless of the type of knowledge. Regardless of how pure your intentions might be. How deep your knowledge might be. If you lack patience with people. If you start to act in a disrespectful way. No one will want to learn from you. No one will want to stay around you. And have the patience to stay with you for a long time in order to learn. And this applies to us in our families, in our communities, and it applies socially at the highest level of being a scholar. The moment you carry knowledge, if you want to affect with that knowledge, if you want to impart, if you want to influence, if you want to share, it has to be done with hilm, Imam Radha says. And this is one of the true indications that this is true scholarship. That it comes with compassionate patience. The exact opposite of what we saw in the other ahadith. The scholar who becomes arrogant or tyrannical as we saw. Okay, so the next point regarding this is that, of course, both of these traits, and I'm not going to spend too much time on this, I want to move to the, to the silence, but both of these traits require a lot of patience. This is not something that you can just do overnight, change into overnight. Suddenly you just decide, I'm going to have hilm, and tomorrow you wake up and you have hilm. This compassionate patience. You're not going to wake up tomorrow and suddenly be the wisest person on when to talk and when not to talk and what to say and how to say it. Both of these, as is the case with moral traits in general, they take a lifetime to build. They take years to perfect, and you're never there. They constantly require work. You're constantly, they require your attention. You're, they require your discipline. Constantly polishing those aspects of your personality so that you become better and better at those traits. Okay, so the work is never done there. Silence. So Imam said there are two traits. True scholarship comes with silence. Comes with hilm. And comes with silence. Maybe before we go to the hadith that talk about this. This is not unknown. This has been something that humanity, in its thought and history, has given a great value to. The ability to hold your tongue. The ability not to say everything you know. The ability to choose your words to give the meaning that is required in a specific instance, in a specific setting, 
and to know how to say it and when to talk and when not to talk and how to present that information in the best possible way. These are things that have been known throughout history. And we have thinkers, you know, who have created entire schools of thought around this. And that some of them still exist today. Except that in today's general culture, this is not only is this not valued, and we don't see a lot of importance given to it. In fact, the opposite today is valued. The louder you can be, the more you worded you are, the more present you can be with your words, the more you seem to be rewarded by the systems, by the cultural systems, the social systems, the economic systems that we have. If you go back to our Islamic teachings, it's the opposite that is valued. Your default should not be that you talk. Your default should not be that you're constantly sharing with words. And we saw a lot of this already. Okay, But now we want to focus a little bit more. If you go back in history, for instance, there is this philosopher that many of you perhaps don't know him as a philosopher. You're exposed to his name in your math classes. When you study math, and they teach you about Pythagoras. Who was Pythagoras? He was a philosopher. He lived 2,500, maybe a little bit more years ago. He initially went to study in Egypt for years. And then he traveled and he studied in Babylon. He went to present-day Iraq to acquire the wisdom of his time. And then he came back to Greece where he lived and he started a school. And some say that he even traveled beyond Babylon, perhaps in India. And he came back and he started a very specific, very particular sets of teachings. It's not about Pythagoras. One of his teachings in his school, this is well known, is that in order to be allowed to become a student of Pythagoras, and of course, initially you don't even become his student, you become a student of his students until you are allowed to directly study under him. To be allowed in the school of Pythagoras, there is a test to see if you have the type of personality and demeanor that can acquire and become a wise person, according to Pythagoras. And the test is that you must remain silent for five years. Five years. Not five hours, or five days, or five weeks. Five years. You remain silent. This shows discipline, this shows wisdom, and there's a whole host of teachings around it in the school of Pythagoras. They were very, everything in his school was about being disciplined to purify the soul, to accept the teachings, to understand the world, to become one in spirit with the world and the truths of the world. And one way was to learn discipline through silence. If someone was already very advanced, then instead of doing it for five years, they were allowed to do it to two years. That was the minimum. If someone was already very advanced. Pythagoras thought that in order to become someone who has wisdom, you have to have a very high level of self-discipline. And he said, the most difficult part of you to have discipline over, to have control over, is your tongue. So you're going to spend five years showing that you have acquired this ability, and then you're going to be allowed into the school. The rest can come. 
This is the one that we have to demonstrate properly. And then there's a specific way to dress and a specific way to eat and so on and so forth. That's just a general story. Now, I want to bring you back to a hadith that I had found from Imam Sadiq By the way, if you go back to our books of narrations, there are entire chapters about the importance and the value of staying, remaining silent. Okay, in, in Wasail al-Shia, Mustadrak Wasail al-Shia, Kitab al-Kafi, these are our, our big books of narrations. There are entire chapters on uh, as-samt, right? There's this one, there's Bab istihbab as-samt was sukut illa an khair. How it is recommended to stay silent, to stay quiet and silent, except in the cases where you're, what you are saying is good or leads to good. Okay, we're going to come to that point. So there's this hadith from Imam al-Sadiq He's not saying do this or don't do this. We're going to explain the hadith. But this is how the Imam begins the hadith. He says, إِنَّ مَنْ كَانَ قَبْلَكُمْ كَانُوا يَتَعَلَّمُونَ الصَّمْتِ وَأَنْتُمْ تَتَعَلَّمُونَ الْكَلَامِ He says, those who came before you, they used to learn silence, how to stay silent, how to stay quiet. Whereas you learn how to talk how to speak. And in fact, most of the sciences that fall under the general discipline of language and are all about how do you express yourself. Well, silence is the opposite. Imam Sadiq is telling the people of his time and perhaps all of us, all of our emphasis is on learning how to speak. Imam Sadiq says, some of those who came before you they were trying to learn how to stay quiet, to stay silent. And he continues, One of them, those people, whenever they wanted to become a worshipper, they would go and learn to remain silent, to remain quiet for 10 years. فَإِنْ كَانَ يُحْسِنُهُ وَيَصْبِرُ عَلَيْهِ تعبت. So if he becomes good at this, remaining silent, remaining quiet, and he masters this, then he becomes a worshipper. وَإِلَّا قَالَ مَا أَنَا لِمَا أَرُومُ Otherwise, he says, to that which I desire, I'm not worthy. I'm not competent to become a true worshipper. If I'm not able to learn True silence for and remain in that state for 10 years. Okay, and then the Imam continues. Here, the, of course, the Imam is going to add another entirely different dimension. And this is an important dimension. But this first part, inshallah, is clear. The Imam is not telling us go and remain silent for 10 years. The Imam is shocking us with something that is so unconventional, so unknown to us by telling us there, there came nations before you that in order to perfect their worship, their spirituality, they went this far in learning to control their tongues, to control what they say and when they say it and how they say it. And you do the opposite. So there's a lot of work he's telling us to be done. He's not saying literally go and remain silent for 10 years. Then the imam is going to add the much deeper meaning to this. 
It's, it's subtle and nuanced, but it's clear. The Imam says, إِنَّمَا يَنْجُوا مَنْ أَطَالَ الصَّمْتَ عَنِ الْفَحْشَاءِ وَصَبَرَ فِي دَوْلَةِ الْبَاطِلِ عَلَى الْأَذَى أُولَٰئِكَ النُّجَبَاءُ الْأَصْفِيَاءُ الْأَوْلِيَاءُ حَقَّةِ Then so he says, indeed, the one who is saved, the one who is rescued, is the one who can keep quiet in the face of atrocities. But we can't take this by itself on its own. The Imam continues, and the one who remains patient and strong under the oppression of an unjust rule. And now the Imam just added a completely different dimension to what it means to be silent and to be quiet. It's that you know what to say and what not to say, and who to say it to and who not to say it to, when you are in a situation that is not ordinary, that is not normal, where you should know that you don't have the freedom to say whatever you want to whomever you want. You might live in a state of, a state in the literal sense, in the political sense, and the psychological sense. A state of an unjust, oppressive rule, where you have to know that there are situations where it is better not to say something. This is what will save you or save lives. The important thing is that you endure patiently. This is not the time to talk. And there will be other times when it is the time to talk. And we're going to see that in the ahadith. Okay, so this adds, this is the much deeper layer or the much deeper meaning to this. There is a first layer to this silence and to remaining quiet that is about you as an individual and your self-discipline. Are you someone who is in control of their tongue or not? Do you say the first thing that pops in your mind? Whether it's good or bad, and then you regret, and then you have to apologize? Or is your tongue under your control? And this, by the way, we could spend the whole lecture just on this, especially since in less than two weeks, we're entering the month of Ramadan, inshallah. And we should go back and see how many narrations and teachings in our religion are about controlling your tongue, especially while you're fasting. So there is a dimension of this that is at the individual level, at the discipline level. Are you in control of the words that you're saying or do they, do they just come out without your control? And then you have to play catch up. And so this has to become one of your aims, one of your practical goals. You are on a path of seeking knowledge in Islam. This is one of the first things as, as we will see in the ahadith. It's not me who's saying this is one of the first things. Worship in our religion, we're going to see. Worship in Islam begins with silence. Learning how to be silent. Because it's a key. It's an indication that you are truly in control of yourself. You have discipline. You don't let just whatever pops in your mind come out. Your words are truly yours. And you mean them. If they come out, it's because you mean those words. And they came out the way you want them to come out. To the person you want to talk to. In the way you want to talk to. Okay, so that's the first part. The second dimension to this is, no, now we have to take the meaning of what it means to remain silent and to remain quiet at a social level, at a cultural level, at a political level. What does it mean? It means you know how to act. And what's the best way to act in every situation? 
This goes beyond the words. Right? So the Imam here is saying, he started with something a lot more individual and spiritual, and then he quickly switched to something that is much more political and much more social. And so when we read and when we see the ahadith of Ahl al-Bayt, which we have been saying from the beginning, you see the layers are there in the ahadith. You need to be able to extract them and see what do they mean here. Don't be too quick to only accept or only see the superficial meaning of the hadith. The next hadith from the Holy Prophet ﷺ, he says, Ya Aba Dhar, Arba'un la yusibuhunna illa mu'min. Assamtu wa huwa awwalul ibadah. Wattawadu lillahi subhanah. Wa dhikrullahi ta'ala ala kulli hal. Wa qillatu shay' yani qillatul mal. So this is part of a very long series of pieces of advice that the Holy Prophet ﷺ gives to the noble and honorable companion Abu Dhar. And so this little part, the Holy Prophet mentions these four together. He says, Oh Abu Dhar, there are four traits, there are four characteristics that are not attained except by the true believer. The first one is silence. The Holy Prophet says silence and it is the beginning of worship. This would require us to sit and really think about it. What does it mean that the beginning of worship begins with silence? And in short, the answer to this is, worship is your ability to be in control of yourself and then show submission to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You need to be in control of your faculties, what your eyes do, what your ears do, where your mind goes, what your hand does, Right? That's the state of worship. That's the state of obedience. You're going to act in a way that is obedience to God. You're going to act in a way with your faculties that matches what God wants you to do with those faculties. Well, the worst one, or the easiest one, or the biggest one, however you want to say it, is the tongue. The words you say with your mouth. And so the Imam here, the Holy Prophet tells Abu Dhar, the beginning of worship is silence. And then he continues, the other three, the other three are not entirely directly relevant to what we're talking about, but they're important. Humility for the sake of God. The next one, remembrance of God in all states. And as we said, this is a very high standard that you actually remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in all of your conditions and all of your states and a shortage of possessions. Al-mal is not specifically money. In Arabic, mal is something you own. Wealth, possessions. So you don't have a lot of them. Or if you have, you're not attached to them. However, that is understood. The next hadith. And I'm going fast here because our topic is not silence. The topic is not to remain quiet. We said this is just one of the traits of the scholar and the teacher. But because we haven't spent any time on it, we're going through a few ahadith here, so we're not spending too much time to comment on these ahadith. And Abi Abdullah alayhi salam qal, qal Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa alayhi. So Imam Sadiq alayhi salam is saying the Holy Prophet said this. And so this is a story where there's a man who comes to the Holy Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa alayhi. The Holy Prophet tells this man, Allah adulluka ala amrin yudhiluka Allah bihil jannah. 
So a man comes to the Holy Prophet and the Holy Prophet tells him, do you want me to direct you towards a thing that which will grant you access to paradise? So of course, all of us, we would say, of course. Of course, O Messenger of God. Tell us, what will grant us access to paradise? So first the Holy Prophet says, قَالْ أَنِلْ مِمَّا أَنَالَكَ اللَّهِ So, whatever Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives you or grants you, give from it. Grant from it. Allah gives you, from what Allah gives you, give to others. That's the first key the Holy Prophet tells him. He tells him, do you want me to teach you what will bring you, drag you, as the Holy Prophet will say later, to paradise? Yes. So we can apply these to ourselves to see to what extent we can match this. So first, give from that which God has given you. So what did the man say? Maybe he was even more honest than we are. He said, قَالْ فَإِن كُنْتُ أَحْوَجُ مِمَّنْ أُنِيلُهُ What if I was more needy than the person that you're asking me to give to? The Holy Prophet said, قَالَ فَانْصُرِ الْمَظْلُومِ Find the one who is oppressed, treated unjustly, and stand up for them. What did the man say? What if I was even weaker than the person I'm trying to stand up for? Excuses. Then the Holy Prophet said, so there's a there's a whole discussion here between the scholars what the real meaning of akhraq here means. Al-akhraq usually can mean something like incompetent. Okay, so it's the, the scholars are not clear when when the hadith says ashar alayh is that from the holy prophet or from the rawi from the person reporting the hadith. Okay, so did the holy prophet mean therefore meaning give him advice? That's what it means literally. Or is this the Rawi, the person who reported the hadith, who's explaining the hadith? There's a discussion between the scholars. But in short, the Holy Prophet is telling this person, this man, if you find someone who is incompetent, then do good for them. So one way the scholars have explained this is, teach them a craft. Someone who is incompetent in life in general. They can't sustain themselves. Teach them to do something. Now they're going to have a livelihood because of a craft you taught them. Now they, they become a butcher. They become a baker. They become something that you taught them. Or you gave them advice. Or akhraq can simply mean someone who is ignorant. They don't know anything. So you're sharing knowledge with them. You're giving them advice or you're giving them knowledge. Okay, so in general we understand regardless of the difference of opinion between the commentators here. Qala do good. What if I was even more incompetent or ignorant than the person you're asking me to help? Again, excuses. And it's not about this man, it's to what extent do these apply to me? Am I doing this too? Then the Holy Prophet said, and this is the point of the hadith, then the Holy Prophet said, فَاصْمِتْ لِسَانَكَ إِلَّا عَنْ خَيْرٍ فَاصْمِتْ لِسَانَكَ إِلَّا عَنْ خَيْرٍ So the Holy Prophet said, then keep your mouth or your tongue silent unless it is to say something good. Okay, so if you are out of 
all of the other keys that I gave you to paradise, the other three, at least he brought him to the, the lowest denominator, as they say. The first one and the most basic one and the most simple one. That's why we saw in the other hadith. The beginning of ibad. These were higher levels of ibad. The Holy Prophet now brought him to the bare minimum. He told him then at least keep your tongue in check. Keep your mouth silent. Stay silent unless it is to say something good. And then the Holy Prophet added. And so when, when I read these words, I have to see like the Holy Prophet is talking to me. He's not talking to that man. He's saying, Does it not make you, will it not make you happy that you have at least one of the traits that will pull you or drag you to paradise? So the Holy Prophet gave us the traits, the characteristics that will bring us to paradise. That you help people with what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given you. That you stand up for those who are oppressed. That you help those who are in need. In any sort of incompetence. Or at least to keep our words and our tongue in check. Okay? The next hadith comes from Imam Ali alayhi salam. I believe this is in Nahj al balagha I don't, I did not put the uh, reference here. I believe that this is in, it's in the short sayings of Nahj al balagha number 333. Okay, so in the shorter wisdoms of Imam Ali alayhi salam at the end, fi sifat al-mu'min or fi sifat al-mu'minin. Imam Ali alayhi salam says, and again, we're going to see a list of traits, a list of characteristics. The one we want is right in the middle, but let's look at the others too. They come together as a package. So Imam Ali alayhi salam fi sifat al-mu'min bishruhu fi wajhih wa huznuhu fi qalbih awsa'u shay'in sadra wa adhallu shay'in nafsa That's the beginning. Imam Ali alayhi salam says, as for the believer, his cheerfulness is on his face. They have a bright, cheerful face. You want to see them all the time. His sorrow is in his heart. It's not that there is no sorrow. There is sorrow. But the sorrow is in the heart, not on the face. His chest, so his chest can mean two things. Either it means his generosity or it means his patience. Both can work. His chest, the Imam says, is the greatest thing in breadth. How broad it is, how wide it is. So in other words, his generosity, he is the most generous of people. Or, his patience, he is the most patient of people. And then, nafsa. His self is the greatest thing in humility. Then the Imam continues, يَكْرَهُ الرَّفْعَةِ وَيَشْنَأُ السُّمْعَةِ طَوِيلٌ غَمُّهُ بَعِيدٌ هَمُّهُ So he hates high social positions, positions of status. He dislikes popularity. His grief is long. His preoccupation is far-reaching. Then, this is the, the tiny statement that is directly relevant. كَثِيرٌ صَمْتُهُ His silence is abundant. Okay, so the Imam is giving us the characteristics of the true believer. His silence is abundant. So we have to think, 
people who know us, would they say we are generally silent people or do we talk? Are we talkative? Do we talk too much? Okay, Imam Ali says this is a general trait of the believer that they don't talk too much. His time is busy. This is very important, but I'm not going to spend time on it. We, we talked a lot about time management in the past. A believer cannot have hours and hours where they don't know what they're doing. And they feel bored. There is so much to do. So a believer cannot be in a state where they're completely lost for hours, just acting randomly, going from one activity to another, just to fill the time. The Imam here says very clearly, the believer's time is full. He has a full schedule. It's not that this means he doesn't make time for other things. But the schedule is always full. There's a reason for this. Then, مَجْغُولٌ وَقْتُهُ شَكُورٌ صَبُورٌ So, this is someone who has a lot of gratitude, a lot of thankfulness. He thanks a lot. And, صَبُورٌ He has a lot of patience. مَغْمُورٌ بِفِكْرَتِهِ ضَنِينٌ بِخَلَّتِهِ this is someone who is buried in their thoughts, the Imam says. He's under a lot of thoughts. His mind is very busy. Okay? So he's buried under his thoughts. Al-Khilla is companionship or friendship. So his companionship, he doesn't give it easily. So he selectively chooses friendships and time that is spent with people. Or the other way to understand it is to say, this is someone who prefers solitude, one or the other. He's either very selective with friendship and companionship, or he prefers solitude. There's too much on his mind, there is a lot that he needs to do, there's no time for. Okay, and then he continues. So, if you look at his demeanor, his demeanor is easygoing or bright and on the side of his moodiness and temperament the imam says layin he's soft it's someone who is very easy and pleasant to get along with and spend time with so easygoing soft personality someone who is cheerful on the outside but his mind is busy his heart is busy and then nafsuhu aslabu min as-salad his soul is stronger than the rocks of mountains, the dried up rocks or the dried up stones. His soul is stronger than the stones. But he is more submissive than a slave. Okay, these are a few words, by the way, because we're taking time to explain them. So they may look like it's a lot, but when you read, this is why it's in the short sayings of Imam Ali alayhi salam. When you read it quickly, you see that the Imam combined so many spiritual, moral, intellectual, psychological traits in a very, very small passage. And of course, we mentioned it because there was a mention of silence right in the middle of, of that statement. The importance of being in control of what you say. The next hadith from Imam Ali alayhi salam, <clears throat> he says, very interesting, very short hadith. He says, As-samt rawdatul fikr. 
That's it. Silence is the rawdah of the mind. So rawdah here can mean a couple of things. Either we say it's like the, the garden or the paradise of the mind, which could be interpreted as you want your mind to be happy and at peace, to achieve you know, serenity and true peace, internal peace, then give your mind, give it silence. Okay, so that's one way to understand this. The other way to understand this is to say it's like a land or a turf. Rawdah can be the, the open pasture or the, the, the part that is open in a land that is perhaps more bushy, right? And I don't know the difference between being in a jungle and being in an open field. That's one way to understand it, a rawdah. So here, the imam is maybe saying, this is a place where your mind can move and grow. To give freedom to your mind. Your mind is a lot more free. And this is where the development happens. So give it silence. Okay, so in both of those meanings, depending on which one you take, it applies. The next passage from Imam Al-Kadhim salam. We've mentioned this hadith multiple times. We go back and again and again to this hadith. We take little parts of it. This is the very long hadith attributed to Imam Al-Kadhim in which he is giving a long sermon, a very long piece of advice to one of his closest companions, Hisham. Okay, so this deserves to be studied on its own, but we keep taking little passages from it. This is another passage. So Imam Al-Kadhim Hisham ibn Al-Hakam, Ya Hisham, لكل شيء دليل ودليل العاقل التفكر ودليل التفكر الصمت Everything has a guide or a guidance. The guidance of the one who is endowed with reason, the person that you can say this is a reasonable person, someone who has rationality, a high level of rationality, is tafakkur. This is someone who reflects وَدَلِيلُ التَّفَكُّرُ الصمت. And the guide of reflection is silence. Deep thinking, those who meditate and who can think deeply, seriously about things, they need silence. And that silence is going to lead to becoming a aqil, if you want to reverse engineer the hadith. To become a aqil, you have to have tafakkur. And to have tafakkur, you have to have Silence, samt. Okay, and then the Imam continues. He says a number of things, and then he says, "Qillatul mantiq hukmun azim, faalaykum bissamt, fainnu daatun hasana, wa qillatu wizr, wa khiffatun min al-dhunub." So, qillatul mantiq. Here, the Imam is saying to use fewer words. To put it that way, literally. Okay, so. Or scarcity of speech is great wisdom. To use as little speech as possible is a wisdom in itself. The Imam here is explicit. The teaching is direct. So maintain silence. Okay? And then the Imam is gonna give us some reasons why silence is good. So he says, hasana. Da'a in itself, the word da'a is a quality. 
He doesn't say that it's just a quality. It's da'atun hasan. It's a beautiful or a good quality. Silence is a good quality in itself. وَقِلَّةُ وِزْرْ وَخِفَّةٌ مِنَ الذنوب. It lightens the burdens which we may understand as meaning sins. Or arguably, it's not sins. It's just mistakes. There's a burden that comes with saying more. You're responsible for every word you say. There's an increased duty and an increased responsibility and an increased risk for mistakes or at least clarifications or being bound to the words you just said. All of this is a form of a burden. So the Imam says, It lightens your life. It removes some of your burdens to say fewer words. That's one. And then the spiritual side, on the religious side, وَخِفَّةٌ مِنَ الذنوب. How many sins go through the words? How many sins go through the tongue? Lying, riba, and so on and so forth. Imam says, use fewer words, control your tongue. It's going to lighten the sins and remove the burdens. And it's a beautiful trait in itself. Okay, and I didn't, there's so many hadith related to this, that it adds to your haybah, that it adds to your prestige and the nobility of your character and your intelligence. I didn't go through all of these hadith. We have a lot of them. And then the imam, ila an qal, the imam continued until he said, qala Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa alayhi. So here Imam al-Kadhim is saying, the Holy Prophet said, إِذَا رَأَيْتُمُ الْمُؤْمِنَ samuta." If you find a believer who is silent, Someone who generally stays quiet. What did what Imam al-Kadhim is going to tell us what the Prophet said about this person. This person who is a believer, you know this is a believer, who is usually silent. The Holy Prophet said, Get closer to this person. Why? This is someone who is receiving wisdom from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So get closer to that person. They're receiving wisdom. You will benefit from that. If this is someone who is usually in a state of silence. وَالْمُؤْمِنْ قَلِيلُ الْكَلَامِ كَثِيرُ الْعَمَلِ وَالْمُنَافِقْ كَثِيرُ الْكَلَامِ قَلِيلُ الْعَمَلِ And this is again a dichotomy that we saw before and it ties right back into the whole theme of the series about the importance of Action. So the Holy Prophet said, or Imam al-Kadhim is saying, not clear. Al-Mu'min, the believer, doesn't speak much. They have little speech, but a lot of action. And the hypocrite has a lot of speech and very little action. Maybe a few minutes to at least try to wrap up this topic. So is this an absolute? Already from the ahadith, we know that it's not. In the absolute sense, we have to remain silent and quiet all the time and never speak? No. This is in general. And we've explained this before. When you see that our religion insists on something, it's not because the other side of it has to be completely eliminated. Unless it tells us completely eliminated. But it's usually not the case for anything that's naturally human. 
So why the insistence on one side over the other? It's usually because there's one side that does not require any encouragement. Our religion does not need to encourage us to talk. Human beings talk by nature. So our religion has to balance things out by insisting on the other side, which is talk, but be in control of what you say. And this applies to anything else that our religion emphasizes on, concentrates on. But does it, this does not necessarily mean that the other side is to be eliminated entirely. We know the importance of speech, but, but there's a condition. So we're going to see it. Imam Ali alayhi salam says, إِنَّمَا يَسْتَحِقُّ إِسْمَ الصَّمْتِ الْمُضْطَلِعُ بِالْإِجَابَةِ وَإِلَّا فَالْعَيُّ بِهِ أَوْلَى this, this requires a, a lengthy discussion. Imam Ali alayhi salam has some of these passages where he tells us the true way, the truly correct way of using a term, and he uses this expression here. He says the real way of applying, of using the term samt is for someone who masters the answer. Someone who knows fully what to say, when to say it, how to say it, and they decide not to talk because they deemed that a time not for talking. That person deserves the title of being silent. As for the person who is incompetent, who does not even know the truth, Answer, who is ignorant or incompetent, for this person, it should be by default that they remain in a state of silence. We should not even have to say that this is someone who is being silent. By default, they should be silent. When we say someone is silent, it's because they are choosing to be, the Imam says. As for the person who is not even sure, the person who is lacking, the person who is incompetent, the person who is ignorant, in that case we should not even have to say this person is choosing to be silent. That should be their normal state. They are more worthy of it, he's saying. Okay. The next hadith from Imam al-Radha and it's also reported from Imam al-Kadhim salam ma ahsana samta la min Ay is the person who is incompetent. Al-i is incompetence. Ma ahsana samt la min'i. How beautiful is silence not resulting from ignorance, not resulting from incompetence. We're not encouraging you not to know, the Imams say. Go and learn so that if you wanted to, you know what to say. You have the knowledge, you have the answer. If you're not talking, it's because you're in control of your words. Not everything that is known has to be said. And not every opportunity to say something needs to be used to say something. This is when you choose. You selectively talk. In which way, what do you share, what do you not share. So the Imam says, how beautiful is silence that does not result from incompetence. Sometimes you have to remain silent because you don't know what to say. That's why Imam Ali, we started with the hadith where Imam Ali says does, that does not even, we can't even call that silence. It's not even worthy of being called silence. Silence means you're choosing to be silent because this is the wiser thing to do. This is the result of good judgment. So this hadith says, Ma ahsana samt 
And the person who, who blabbers, the person who's talkative, has a lot of failures. They constantly fail, they constantly slip up, they constantly make mistakes. So the Imam saying, and one of the ways, one of the things that one of the reasons why we're telling you to avoid talking too much is that the person who talks too much makes a lot of mistakes. Wal-Mihdar is the person who blabbers. I have to really translate it as blabbers. Okay? Wal-Mihdar lahu saqatat. The person who talks too much will make a lot of mistakes. And then from Imam Ali alayhi salam in another hadith he says, Kun samutan be silent min ghayri'i. Again, be silent. But not, your silence is not resulting from incompetence. Not out of incompetence. Not out of ignorance. You remain silent because you choose not to talk, because you know this is not the most appropriate time to talk, for instance. Okay, two quick ahadith and then I'll end. So do we stay silent all the time? Clearly, no. Clearly there are times when talking is much more important. Sometimes it might be obligatory and necessary to talk. Sometimes it might be recommended to talk. In one hadith, Imam Ali salam says, Al-Qawlu bil-Haqq khayrun min al-Iyi To say truth, to speak in truth, is better than incompetence or ignorance and silence. So what is the Imam here uh, comparing or opposing? He's saying you are either speaking truth because speaking the truth is better than and he's putting two things together. You remain silent but he's saying out of incompetence. So there is a time to talk. There is a time to say the truth because the truth needs to be said here. In that time it's much better to talk than to stay quiet because staying quiet is the incompetent thing to do even if you know do you understand the nuance remaining quiet at a time when you're supposed to talk is no different than being incompetent being ignorant what good is your knowledge if it doesn't come out at the time that it is needed the next hadith in the same vein Imam Ali alayhi salam again he says لا خير في الصمت عن الحكم كما أنه لا خير في القول بالجهل There is no good in remaining silent instead of sharing wisdom as equally as there is no good in speaking out of ignorance As bad as it is to speak out of ignorance equally bad would be to stay silent when you're supposed to share wisdom or say the truth. So hopefully we're clear here from the ahadith that the ahadith are not saying that you stay silent, period. That you stay quiet all the time, period. There's an insistence on it because there's certainly, for most people, that's certainly going to be a weakness. So the ahadith are going to emphasize on one side and they're going to tell us, work on this, because generally speaking, people talk too much. You have to be in control of what you say. Think about it, be in control, have self-discipline. 
But there is a time to talk. But in order to talk, you have to have knowledge. So that you know when the time comes and the answer is needed, you're the one who decides and chooses, do I talk or not? But you have the knowledge. You have the answer, the ahadith said. And not speaking when the time is to speak is equally bad. It's equally as bad as someone who speaks out of ignorance. You say things that are based on no knowledge. Saying things that are based on incompetence, as the ahadith are saying. Insha'Allah we'll continue next time. وَصَلَّى ala Sayyidina Muhammadin wa ala alihi tayyibina tahirin. Questions, concerns, comments? Tfadl. Um, I just had a simple question, but um, so we're talking about in terms of the balance between speaking and not, not speaking um, is really, first of all, you have to, to have the ability to do both. Um, and then, be, uh, to be, and then there's, there's a time where it's confident to speak and confident to stay silent. And you deem that as such. Otherwise, it's incompetence if you don't. Um, so that means, especially in our religion, the importance of action and taking action. So I would take it when it's um, the right thing to be silent. It's not a lack of action in that in that uh, place. That's actually taking action, especially because how hard it is and uh, to do so. So that would be um, considered as action, although you might look at it as lack of action. To, so that's an excellent summary And that's why we started with the hadith of Imam al-Sadiq salam, Where we said that that's the d- dimension that he added Another way to put it is to say for instance Your ability to endure silently Sometimes that's what's needed And of course that's an action Right? So yes, you're absolutely right That's a form of action that, There's a whole discussion since you're It's a good question and because it's mentioned in, in the the more advanced works of theology, I mention it quickly in passing. There's a whole discussion about why in some verses of the Qur'an um, there's a mention of having belief, having iman. The way it's presented, it's as though you're performing something. So, inshallah, one day we'll talk about it in detail. But in short, it's very clear that Carrying the faith itself, if you're doing it with intent, I carry the faith, I know that's an action. That's not a non-action. That is an action in itself. To know what you believe in and to carry that faith. Regardless of what's going on, regardless of the situation you're going through, that's an action. That's not a, a, a non-action. Okay, so if that's the case, then of course here that would apply to it. So remaining silent out of awareness and intent that's a form of action. Hassan. So, is there an, uh, like the, the, upcoming, the, uh, the upcoming lecture, are, you, are we going to talk further about silence? Or are you, you're wrapping up? Um, we will wrap it up. So, so يعني, uh, there might be a couple of things left to say, but we'll go out of. So I tried to wrap up the, the silence today. There's one, perhaps a couple of points left, and then we'll go back to the rest of the moral traits of the teacher. Because I was just thinking, uh, like when, when you, you laid down all the hadith 
of Imam Kadir, Imam Kadir ibn Sadiq So you pointed out uh, the social, psychological and social dimensions of being, of being silent. But, uh, but at the same time, subhanAllah, because uh, uh, you know, hadith of al-bayt are similar to a point of the Quran, the same thing applies to, to hadith al-bayt. So I was thinking of uh, the scientific dimension of, of the silence itself and how to um, how to int- interpret it into a practical uh, manner, how to practically be silent, uh, and how would that have a sense in a scientific word. So, and, uh, you know, many philosophers and psychologists says, says that we never stop thinking. So there's this this, this uh, passive thinking <clears throat> that I that we can understand as being a, a passive silent versus the active silence. So that being said, that we can be silent silent in a in a, in a conscious level and in the subconscious level, uh, in the uh, uh, exoteric, uh, you know, the uh, uh, meaning or the esoteric meaning. So. So that being said, the hadith that you mentioned of Sadiq that uh, So this itself, like it's kind of a summarize how in the real world we are, we are um, advised to be silent. Is just to give us some time and more time to be more actively uh, productive. Versus if you talk, you don't give your chance the time of being passively uh, productive and therefore less productive in an active, uh, active way. So it's not just a be silent and you're gonna have the wisdom. It's just, whether you like it or not, by being silent, you're thinking. But you just have to bring your conscience and turn off your unconscious and think of what you're saying mm-hmm. or think of or interact in the cognitive uh, uh, level of what you, how you want to interact with this thought, with this idea or, or, or this hadith or ayah or whatever. And then, you know, keep, keep building up. And you cannot do it by not being silent. So what's your... I have nothing to add to this. I completely understand what you're saying. Maybe there's two components to to this. I think there's an internal component to what you're describing, I think, loud and clear. And I think there is also a, this person is still producing. You give your yourself, so there's an internal productivity that I think you're describing very clearly and directly. Uh, and there's an external productivity. And maybe that's a whole discussion too, in that work in silence, right? Because this person is a believer, and that's that was very clear in the hadith. So this person is producing, and they are producing in silence, and that's it. This is uh, this amounts to being in a state of receiving wisdom, and so stay close to that person. Uh, so I I have nothing to to add. It's uh, absolutely beautiful. Yes, Ahsantum. وصلى الله على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله الطيبين الطاهرين